Welcome back to the Act 2 Podcast, a podcast for the real-life working screenwriter. I'm Tosh DeHue. And I'm Josh Hallman. And this episode is very much unofficially brought to you by Ghost Gamer Juice, Zoa, yeah. and Wine. And Rosé. And ro- and ro- <laughs> if you hear any clinkling, if you hear this noise, it's just because, you know, it was one of those days. I'm having some wine. We're podcasting. <laughs> we are. This feels like uh, the end of a difficult week, but we're here talking about one of our favorite subjects, and I'm really excited, but before we get into that, please remember to subscribe mm-hmm. to the podcast. It does help it kind of pop up for other writers, too, so they can come and hang out with us, and we can talk to them. That sounds really creepy. Um, give us mm-hmm. a rating, <laughs> write a comment, tell us your favorite action set piece. If you'd rather DM us with questions or topic suggestions, just want to say hi, you can reach out to us at act2writers at gmail.com, which is all spelled out, or on our Instagram at act2writers. I am also on Instagram at Story Thursday and Twitter at Tasha 3.0. And I am on Instagram as Josh Hallman and Twitter as Joshua Hallman. What are we talking about today? Oh, wow. Here's why I'm really excited. Not only do we have a great topic today, is that normally right before we, we, we jump into things, we kind of we have, a, we have a quick brief. We talk about what we're going to talk about. But today, no. you're like, I'm ready. Let's just fucking go. I was like, okay, <laughs> let's go. I'm not prepared at all. <laughs> so we're talking about action set pieces, action moments, set pieces. Set pieces. Yeah, definitely yeah. set pieces. Not just a fight scene, an actual set piece, the kind of the most memorable yeah. bits from the movie, from an action movie that you see. And we're, we're breaking apart the anatomy of that because Josh and I are very much huge fans of the action set piece that itself tells a story, that has a kind of three-act structure, that has a bunch of reversals. And so we thought we'd get into what those are, what some of our favorites are, and point out those reversals so we can learn from them, so we can all just kind of talk about them and learn from the masters, basically. And Josh doesn't know what my second set piece, I, I did too. I think Josh did too. I did. You don't know what my second one is. It's interesting because like are all action moments set pieces? And by action moments I mean like John Wick walking into a room and taking out twenty people. I mean I think in a John Wick movie that is considered a set yeah. piece. But what we're talking about is something more. Yeah, something more. But it is interesting that there's different variations. There's the John yeah. Wick. You have like the Fast and Furious, obviously Matrix, which is kind of John Wickish. Hitman's Bodyguard. That's a shoot 'em yeah. up kind of set. You know, there's just different things. That... It is interesting that in thinking about which set pieces I was going to pick today, I ended up picking kind of really big set pieces, and, you know, yeah. car chases and whatever that is. But you're right. Like in a John Wick movie, and kind of the reason I didn't pick a John Wick movie is because. While they sometimes will have a three-act structure, they often are just John Wick plowing through things and he gets hit a few times. But I don't think that you can't project this same idea of what we're going to talk about of having reversals into something like that. And in fact, I think you should. Totally. I was just talking to Josh. Like One of the reasons why I was a little late today doing this was because I myself was writing kind of a big final set piece for something and it's not going to be as big as a car chase or, or anything like that but it still needs to have reversals and i was like we have to do this podcast first <laughs> so then it can yeah. help me no we do do it now <laughs> where do we begin who wants to start i actually don't know your second set piece either what if we chose the same one no i i, I told you oh you did okay good <laughs> yeah my second one is a curious one and it, i i chose it for a very specific reason because it's 
it's kind of different and it's not too big, but it's also very important in the in the the scope of the movie. So, yeah. and okay. I, I think it's important to talk about at least. Oh, exciting! Do you yeah. want to go first or should I go first? I always regret going first because you come in so fucking hot and prepared, <laughs> and I'm. But I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna go first. This is your jam. I think you're gonna shine here. great all right here's what i want to say before we jump into this and before i kind of jump into this and where my head's at with action set pieces i think we both agree that the best kind of action moments and sequences and set pieces are where they push the story forward they have complications they show us character moments yeah and i'm just gonna use an anecdote from my life tasha oh i can't wait yeah as you know, I wrote a script called Father Daughter Day. One of my favorites. It was uh, about a yeah, uh, risk-averse father who gets sucked into this adventure with his reckless CIA daughter. So they go on this crazy kind of like, it's action comedy. They have all these things that happen. And I had a lot of conversations with my manager. I had conversations probably with you and other writers. And we talked about action moments and how to get the most out of every single sequence. And something that I personally always adhere to is making sure each sequence serves the character. And in this script, when it came to the father, my idea was like, I'm always gonna push this guy out of his comfort zone because he's this risk averse guy. So for example, you know, he's almost like a hypochondriac. He's scared of everything. And so in one sequence I uh, had, he was chasing some bad guys and I was trying to figure out where the climax of this sequence was gonna take place. And I kept thinking about different options. I'm like, all right, where can, where can this take place? Where should this sequence, this action moment take place? And I figured out that it should take place at this uh, warehouse, this abandoned warehouse that was going to be demolished soon. It was kind of under construction. Uh, but the point is, is that inside there were rusty nails. There was an old, uh, like floorboards that were falling apart. There were mm -hmm. dirty saws. And the reason to do it here was because not only was it an action moment, but it was more than just him fighting these guys. It was also him overcoming his own personal fears of being scared of everything and kind of having to deal with the elements. So it was supposed to theoretically do two different things. Yeah. A character moment. And that's my first one. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's so... my own script. <laughs> and it was my own script and, you know, whatever. You just gave me a fantastic idea, which I wrote down for myself for later, which is absolutely like if your action set piece or your simple action fighting scene can serve two purposes at least, that yeah. makes it so much more watchable than if it's just an action scene. Which, by the way, like when I when I sort of Googled, all right, what are some like really great action scenes we could talk about? Things like The Raid came up, right? And totally. The Raid has amazing action scenes. Do they feel so memorable because they, they have like, you know, three act structures and sort of multiple character things going on at the same time? No, I think you're attracted to that because the action is just very cool. But, yeah. but I think the ones that stick with you forever, like the ones that I'm going to talk about have stuck with yeah. me because there's emotions that are driving each of the moments. And I think you're right. Like, you know, a guy who's risk averse in a place that's full of risk is great. What if someone is trying to fight, but also save lives at the same time? Like maybe the people he's trying to fight are actually, you know, under a spell or something. And it, like, yeah. that's interesting too. So how can you make your action scenes more dynamic? And hopefully these examples Wait, will show that. They're they're under a spell. Wait a minute. Is the sequel magical father-daughter day? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Co-written with Tasha? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I've been thinking about this. I wrote it. It's great. Yeah, yeah. All right. I actually think setting your character in an area that does character work mm. goes across not it goes across everything. Like if you're in a horror film, for instance, you could be fighting a ghost in an area that you know is personal to that character. I can't yeah. really think of any examples right now, but when you're setting these crazy moments, always think about well, where would the char- What would be cool to serve the character so it's doing double work? Yeah, that's all I'm absolutely. saying. Absolutely, double work always. Okay, my first choice in yeah. my in the action comedy discussion. Yeah. Not action comedy. Action uh, sequence. Okay, this wine's great. <laughs> <laughs> ghost Protocol, Mission Impossible, Ghost Protocol. Oh, so confused for a second. Yeah. Okay. Which number is that? This is number one through eight. What? One of them. <laughs> I think it's number. I think it's number five. It's no, it's number four. It's right after the J.J. Abrams one. Okay. It's it's when the you know things got back uh, on track. It's the Brad Bird one. Got it. Got it. Okay. So I chose the scene where they go to Dubai, and mm. it's that big tower. The highest tower in the world yep. and let's just let's, let's just set this up and break this down so yeah. around minute 52 of this movie yeah i have i have time stamps in this as well well you're so much better than me oh okay uh <laughs> they're driving they're heading into dubai and it is the the setup it's jeremy renner's in the car with paul Patton, simon Pegg, and um uh mr thomas cruise and <laughs> renner's like what do we need to do and so off the bat in this Mission Impossible, which is great about all Mission Impossibles, is it's always the setup. It's always missions on missions on missions. Mm-hmm. And they talk about what they need to do. They're like, okay, Renner actually says this. We're entering the tallest building in the world with hopes of convincing two people that they had a meeting with people that never actually happened. Mm-hmm. So to wrap your head around that, they're going to go into this building they're going to disrupt the meeting. They're going to pretend like it didn't happen while making the meeting still happen. So, right. I like that the character, by the way, just del- absolutely just says flat out what they're saying, which is always to me a very good writing trick. If one of your characters within your action scene or whatever, like doesn't is sort of incredulous about what's going on or like needs to wrap their own mind around it, it allows you to talk directly to the audience so they're not confused. Totally. And that's what Jeremy Renner plays in this like maybe in the entire movie but definitely mm-hmm. in this sequence yeah because he's kind of an outsider right so yeah. he's sort of incredulous the whole time yeah it's like oh, what are we gonna do so they're entering the world's tallest building they're going to use some form or method to disguise themselves because they're gonna have to pretend like this isn't you know this meeting's not happening they get to the building and then our boy jeremy renner he clicks on a timer and he's like we have 34 minutes until the door knock meaning until the Mm. bad guys arrive. Mm -hmm. So now we have a ticking clock for the sequence and they indicate that they need to get to a server room. And off the bat, Simon Pegg, he starts looking at the uh, schematics of the building. He's like, okay, there's a little bit of a slight wrinkle. We need to get to the server room from the outside. Mm. So they can't sneak in. They have to get there from the outside. And right away, that's like, a layer added in to this moment because it's a complication. A layer has been added. And on top of that, it basically are like, we need to get here because if we don't, we can't control the cameras. We can't control the elevator. And that's like the first thing that happens, by the way, right? Like, oh, wow. 
Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. I know you're in a No, no, Go. no. Please, please. This is this is what this is for. Cruz, of course, is like, what the fuck are you talking about? How are we supposed to do this? He's throwing out other options. He's like, maybe we can do this. Maybe we can do that. Peg's like, no, you can't do that. You just you just can't do that. Cruz is like, there's no way I can get in from the outside. What am I supposed to do? Mm-hmm. Which is right when Simon Pegg tosses him a glove that sticks on the window, which is that, you know, that magnetic glove. If you haven't seen Ghost Protocol, just stop listening and go watch Ghost Protocol <laughs> because it's fucking amazing. It is amazing. So they start to burn off the window with this like laser cutter, which interestingly, Simon Pegg, he fumbles and it sparks and he nearly burns himself, which mm. is important. It's yeah. a very little moment. It's played up as comedy, but it's very important. So don't oh, forget that. Okay. Yeah. So Cruz, he puts the gloves on. Peg tells him, hey, listen, when it's blue, you're good. When it's red, you're dead. And then he gives him the laser cutter and Cruz moves to scale this fucking tower in Dubai. Mm-hmm. And Cruz, of course, he's nervous. Renner, again, he's like, hey, listen, 26 minutes. So he's constantly in the ear creating this 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 clock that is like, oh my God, oh my God. Cruz exits the window. Of course, he's incredible. He's tentative at first. He starts crawling up the building. And while this is happening, Simon Pegg, he's making a mask one of the, in that awesome mask machine that all Mission Impossibles have, mm-hmm. which by the way, they've gotten so much mileage out of the, the yeah. mask in Mission Impossible. We should talk about that some other day. And again, he's climbing, Cruz is climbing. Renner's like, you have 24 or 25 minutes. And it's just so intense so intense and then you know what happens tasha cruz notices something in the distance a fucking sandstorm is coming he turns around and there's like this tidal wave of sand coming at him so another complication has just been added into this sequence but peg he says don't worry it's a long way off it shouldn't be a problem mm-hmm. cruz continues to climb the sandstorm is coming renner is constantly saying he's like 24 minutes until the door knock and while he's climbing one of the gloves stops working and cruz almost falls but he catches himself he keeps climbing of course he tosses the one glove so now he only has one glove on and he gets to the server room he's on the outside he breaks out the laser cutter he starts to open the window but as he's doing it it sparks just like it did with Simon mm, Pegg that mm-hmm. was played off as a joke. Yeah. And it burns him and Cruz uh, falls like he falls a few stories until he catches himself with the glove. I just want to put a pin in this because that's really important because what was played off as comedy with Simon Pegg later yeah. happened to Tom Cruise. And it was another complication. It's like, yeah. oh, my God, Cruz, he has to climb back up clock is ticking 22 minutes Cruz finally says hey this countdown is not helping and Reiner's like okay sorry man so Cruz <laughs> climbs up he breaks the window he's in the server room he did it but while he's in there a couple important things happen the other glove stops working and Simon Pegg says hey you're halfway home indicating they've al- they've almost done it so it's mm-hmm. kind of giving us this idea that all right this this plan is halfway complete so Ethan puts like the thing in the drive and they take over the server and now they have complete control. And then Peg and Paula Patton, they run from the room now that they have all of the cameras and they start changing like door tags around and like this mission is uh, happening before, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're doing everything. And while this is happening, guess what? Renner looks at the camera and he sees that the bad guys have come a little early. Mm-hmm. They're in the elevator shaft. Mm-hmm. Renner's like, 
Oh shit, so another complication has just been added to this. The ticking clock doesn't matter. The people yeah. are here. This is a big problem. They're Which coming is great because I was going to say like 24 minutes. How are they going to manage that in screen time? That's a long time. Yeah, this is the solve. They're like, hey, they're fucking here right now. Renner's like, Ethan, you need to get back down here ASAP. You can't like take the stairwell or something. You need to mm -hmm. get down here a little faster. So what does Ethan, you know, what does he do? Oh, by the way, Ethan being Tom Cruise. If, obviously. If, any, if anyone's out, yeah, obviously. He ties a hose around himself and he launches himself from the fucking window. He runs down the side of the building. Time is ticking. And just when you think he's going to get back to the window because he's closing in on it, the slack catches on the, on the rope and he just gets stuck. And he's like, oh, no. Like, oh, shit. Paula Patton and Jeremy Renner are looking out of the window like, uh, you know, like, What's he going to do? And I'm, I don't even know how to describe what happens next because it's just so incredible. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but basically, he runs along the side of the building. He pushes himself off. He detaches this hose and he just falls. And he he's trying to like aim himself into the window. And he gets there, but he misses. And Jeremy Renner ends up catching him. And then Jeremy Renner gets pulled out of the window. And Paula Patton catches Jeremy Renner. And she actually... <laughs> I kid you not, she grabs a carpet in the room. So Paula Patton's holding a carpet, holding Jeremy Renner. Jeremy Renner is holding Tom fucking Cruise. <laughs> Ethan ends up crawling back inside, and it's like this beat. And they're like, everyone's like, oh, my God, I can't believe this just happened. And then a second later, Simon Pegg rushes in. He's incredibly proud of himself, and he's like out of breath. And he's like, that was, that was easy. Like, I did it. What did I miss? And... <laughs> And then that's the end of that sequence, and it ends at minute 62, so it's about 10, what was it, 10 or 11 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then after that, there's another kind of mission that goes haywire, and then the sandstorm ends up paying off. Yeah, it does end up paying off. That's right. Like <sighs> so that was that sequence. sequence. That is, to me, the most iconic action set piece that you and I always <laughs> talk about. It's, I mean... You, pit, yeah. and you pitched it perfectly. It's continually terrifying. And what I love, too, as you said, like if that thing, the cutter, had sparked just when Tom Cruise was going up and after he'd lost the glove, you'd be like, okay, all right, whatever. Like that, I don't yeah. buy that. That's so convenient of a, of yeah. a reversal. But because you're setting it up in, in an unexpected way and it pays off, you earn it. So it's those things, too, become very important. I feel like I have seen people try to write set pieces where they do try to throw in reversals, but they feel extremely convenient to just feel like a reversals. Mm -hmm. And you have to remember that even those have to come from somewhere and it has to feel organic. So yeah, that's, I love that one. There's nothing else yeah, to say it except it's perfect. And it, it really, it, do, it doesn't really necessarily, I don't know if it touches on the character aspect we've been talking about, but this is a little different because these characters are already established in the, like the mission impossible world. But it really, it's like a three-act structure to the yeah. point where they get to the server room and he's like, you're halfway there. Like that was our midpoint. And, right. then, he, and then he runs down and it's the climax of the, the sequence. And it was just like, it's iconic, yeah. man. I think you're right. There's not character development and it is a Mission Impossible movie, so we have to allow for that. <laughs> no offense, mm -hmm. but there's not a lot of character development in those. Um, but they're, the characters come into play. Like, the characterization of Simon totally. Pegg comes into play. And with Jeremy Renner doing the clock thing. So, it and, and even the way Ethan responds to everything. Like, the risk he takes of letting go of the hose. Like, no one else would do that in that entire room. 
nobody on no. the team would do that. So it, it's still using character organically to move the action forward, I would say. Yeah. Setups, payoffs, um, uh, complications. It had it all. I fucking loved it. It's so good. All right. Mine's not as good, but it's still pretty good. Stop. You're going to be like, well, let me break this down for you. It's going to be amazing. I just talked for like 10 straight minutes, but anyway, we're good. Since that's your all-time favorite, I'm going to bring up my all-time favorite first, which is from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, one of the greatest movies ever made. Hang on. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want it to sound like this is like my all-time favorite movie. Like, No, no. That said piece. That said piece on its own is like... I feel like it's your pin- pinnacle of set pieces. Yeah, I would stop anything I'm doing if I saw that set piece <laughs> yeah. being played somewhere. Okay. <laughs> All right. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. It is the tank sequence that I am referring to. Um, it's about eight minutes, 56 seconds long. And I'm going to... What? <laughs> it's around... Exactly eight minutes it's and exact- 56 seconds. <laughs> I mean, I got this from YouTube because for some reason, okay. as I told Josh, I went to go put in my Indiana Jones DVDs and they're all missing from the mm. boxes. Well, you said that in a very suspicious way. Interesting. <laughs> all right. So eight minutes, 56 seconds long. Pretty big set piece. And the set piece, it starts with a win. If you've not seen this movie, just don't even listen to the podcast. Um, but it starts with a win where indiana jones has some horses they're ready to ride off to the holy grail it's gonna be great we're gonna beat the nazis we're gonna beat the nazis to the holy grail but then solace says tiny hiccup indy your father and his buddy brody have been captured by the nazis and he's in their tank Mm -hmm. and now the action set piece starts because of a reversal of fortune which i think is very cool so Indy rides his horse after the tank. The tank is firing at him, and he's dodging it as best he can, but there's really no way he's going to beat a tank on a horse. He's fucked. And even worse, the other Nazi trucks, they start chasing after Indy now too, and they're full of soldiers. So Indy's doubly fucked. Then Indy turns a hard left as these trucks are coming in, and the tank starts to turn too because it's trying to fire at Indy. And because the tank only has this small window to look out of and doesn't have this full panoramic vision, it doesn't see that Indy is actually leading them right into that convoy of trucks that seemed like a threat. And the tank Mm. hits its own truck, which gets stuck on its very big gun. And I don't know anything about tank anatomy, so I apologize. But this is the first reversal, right? Indy was fucked. Now he's just gotten a win. But the tank Nazis start to get creative and they start firing the smaller guns on the side at Indy. And they just kind of like shoot the truck off of their big gun and run right over their own guys, which is a really great villain character moment built within the set piece. So that's reversal number two. Indy got a small win, but now the Nazis are recovering. But then while galloping ahead of the tank, Indy bends down and he grabs a rock And you're like, what the hell is he going to do with a rock against a tank? Well, what he does is he runs up and he sticks the rock right into the tank's small gun. And he kind of runs to specifically make himself a target so that the Nazis fire and it blows up the gun because this rock has been shoved into it. And it kills one of the Nazis inside. So that's a reversal 
number three. The main Nazi guy, the general, he comes out of the top of the tank, he's coughing smoke, and he starts firing his pistol at Indy, and Indy's firing back, and that doesn't really do anything. So Indy decides to take the high ground on his horse, and he jumps onto the tank. And I think this is important, because talking about first act, second act, third act, this feels like the second act of our set piece because now we've moved from this wide shot where we're on a horse and we're running around a tank to now we're right on top of the tank and now it's going to be close hand-to-hand -hand combat so that's a different kind of fighting so it's a kind of act two of our set piece and yeah. i'd say well it's not exactly a reversal it is upping the ante of what this set piece is because now it's close so now it's indy versus this head general and they're eye to eye and this is what we've been waiting for all movie. It's the face-off between these two guys, our hero and our villain. And as Indy goes to engage, he's tackled by some random Nazi we've never seen who's pulled up in the truck next to them. And so now he's fighting this random guy, not able to get to the big head general. And then three other Nazis jump onto the tank to kill Indy. So that's reversal number four. He's outnumbered. He's fucked again. Yeah. But... He wrestles one of their guns free, shoots them, and it goes through all three men at once. I love it. <laughs> so they're all dead. That's reversal number five. Complete reversal of fortune there. And as Indy goes in again to fight another Nazi, he's grabbed from behind by that general who has a chain. So now that's reversal number six because Indy is now being choked out after having this great win of killing all three of those guys so while he's being choked out his gun falls inside the tank nearby his dad and we clock that moment mm -hmm. but up top indy's being choked to death and a dozen more nazis are coming meanwhile one of the tank nazis he raises the scope from inside the tank and he looks out and he sees Indy and the general are brawling on top of the tank. And it's played as this really funny moment because like Indy gets his face jammed into the scope and the Nazi inside even like starts laughing. He's like, hey, guys, like this is so hilarious. But then Indy kicks the scope and it hits the Nazi inside and it knocks him out, which gives Sean Connery, dad, the distraction he needs to go after Indy's fallen gun. So another payoff right and a joke similar to the uh, mission impossible one a joke that ends up paying off in a very real way so that's reversal number seven mm -hmm. and now there's this stressful moment where the general is driving indy's face into the treads of the tank up top indy's about to die inside sean connery has the gun but he's being overpowered by a nazi he's going to get shot in the head when sean connery busts out his fountain pen and he squirts the guy in the eye. And I guess that kind Ooh. of like knocks him back into the wall. It knocks him unconscious. So now there are no more Nazis inside, which means now Sean Connery can run to the gun and fire at that truck of Nazis that's been heading this way and blows them up. So reversal number eight, good guys win. This explosion then causes the general to release Indy, which is great, that's a win, but Indy falls directly onto the tread of the tank and is now being dragged off of it to be killed. And we flag this as very dangerous because we've seen earlier in the fight, a Nazi actually fell onto the treads and he died from it. So we know that this is very dangerous. So reversal number nine is now Indy is gonna get run over. Mm -hmm. But thank God he rolls off just in time and catches himself on one of the side guns. So he's alive. Reversal number 10, it's a breath of fresh air.
But now he's dangling off the gun and the general is hitting him from the top with this shovel and Indy falls, but his satchel strap catches on the gun, which saves him from being run over, which is great. But now he's stuck and there's a wall coming up. So the general tells the driver, ram Jones into this wall that's coming up. And so while Indy is experiencing this low point outside, Sean Connery inside gets tackled by one of the Nazis who points a gun right into his face. He's about to execute Sean Connery. So both Dr. Joneses are about to die. Oh. When Brody, out of nowhere, bashes the Nazi in the head with a fallen bullet casing, which we actually saw fall into the tank in the very first moment of the fight sequence, which I think, again, is fucking brilliant and something that is done in Mission Impossible, where Brody and Dad both clock this bullet casing falling, and we play it off as something else, which we play it off as dangerous when we first see it at the beginning of the set piece. Now it's being brought back as a weapon. Mm -hmm. So... Now that Brody hits the Nazi, that Nazi misfires the gun and misses Sean Connery. And instead, the bullet bounces around the metal interior of the tank and it kills the tank driver, who now falls on top of the steering lever of the tank, which turns the tank just in time to avoid smashing Indy to his death against the wall. So reversal, that's reversal number 11. And it's maybe one of the greatest reversals, I think, in in cinema. That's just me. But that is always incredible to me. And this is the moment in the set piece where the indie theme is queued up. It's like Mm -hmm. the hero moment where he climbs back onto the tank. He starts punching the general, full hero mode. He gets Dad and Brody out of the tank. And we see now that the tank is heading for a cliff. So we start Mm. to have a ticking clock. We only have so much road left, right? And the general, he starts fighting Indy again, which knocks Sean Connery onto the treads of the tank. So we know what happens when this happens. You die. So this is reversal number 13. We thought we were saved, but now Sean Connery is on the treads heading for his doom. That's when Indy then uses his whip to grab his dad and save him from going under. So he's got one hand on the whip, keeping his dad alive. The other, he's getting punched by the general. But then... Salah rides up and he saves his dad, which is, I think I missed my reversals here. Reversal number 13 is what I have here. Mm -hmm. Um, So good guys win. Salah comes up. Dad is saved. Indy can now get better punches at the general. They're fighting. Indy sees the cliff now and he's like, fuck. And he tries to run off the tank as fast as possible, but the tank falls right off the cliff to its demise. And we see the general go along with it and we assume Indy goes with it too. And that's the final reversal, which is a lot of reversals to happen in one section. But as you can see, it's like good guys win, bad guys win, good guys win, bad guys win, just constantly for almost nine minutes. And it's extremely exciting because you're constantly wondering, well, how are they going to get out of that? Oh, how are they going to get out of that? And having those constant questions makes you lean into your action scene rather than kind of sit back and just watch it happen. First of all, I've seen Last Crusade about 5,000 times. And just when you described it, I, I, my heart was just pounding. I'm, I was, I was nervous. <laughs> I'm glad because I felt a little wordy there, but like, that's, that's what happens. It's so. No, that's so what happens. Good. And what's so great about that is, well, like you, you laid out all the reversals, like that's so important because even as you know, I'm working on like an action thriller right now. And a lot of it is just kind of like A to B, you know, and I, and I have to, and there's, there are no reversals in some of the fight scenes and sequences and 
those are like, man, those are the best when you can yeah. like flip things. You're like, oh, 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 oh. Yeah. It's like a game of uh, it's uh, well, like tennis. You know, yeah. you're just going back and forth. I always feel like my my first draft of a set piece of an action set piece is always my hero just like doing really well because it's really yeah. cool. And then you're like, oh wait, he should get stabbed with a fork, and he should probably like break a limb or something something bad should happen to him along the way and then totally. on top of that like in another pass maybe that's when you start thinking about bringing back some of these things to pay off like the bullet casing and or you know maybe you saw a character use a tray because he was pretending to be a waiter before and now in the action set piece that tray comes back be mm -hmm. like surprising with different props and stuff and that can be something you layer into it as you go but and in some ways, that's almost the better way to write them, I think, to, to wrap your mind around them, is what's the flat-out scene, and then start yeah. building in complications from there. The last thing I'll say about Indy and what you were just saying is something that's really great and how the tank turned when, like, the body fell. Mm. Like, I feel like that's in the Indiana Jones DNA. Like, I don't know if you can get away with that in other movies, but that's in like the DNA of that movie, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Like you would expect that to happen. <laughs> right. I see what you're saying. There's like, this is maybe too strong of a word, but a campiness to mm -hmm. that coincidence, I no, think. No, they're, they're... It's too strong it's in... of a word. Yeah, it's too... I, I... <laughs> I <don't... laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to put this negative indie talk no. in the world. Oh, God. We'll edit that out, all the negativity. <laughs> okay all right <clears throat> i'm so excited hit me my next one yeah is super eight. Oh shit this is uh this is completely different from mission impossible and it's a completely kind of different it's everything about it is different so yeah. that's kind of why i wanted to talk about it interesting i've only seen that movie i think once so i'm excited oh really i think so so the moment we're talking about, because the, the iconic moment from Super 8 is obviously like the, tra uh, the train crash. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is a moment that actually happens in the third act. And this is when we kind of see the alien for the first time. Because up until this moment, we had only seen the alien uh, in glimpses and on reaction shots from characters. So we never actually see the alien there. Mm -hmm. But in... And mainly from a Super 8 video that, you know, when the kids take it and they see it crawling out. So it's just kind of like these little glimpses of the alien. And even in this sequence, it's not full-on alien, but it's more alien than had than had been there before. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of that sense of what, I guess, you know, our threat is. And so we're kind of getting a scope of how crazy this thing is. All right. So to kind of paint this picture, our group of kids, they're captured by the U.S. Mil military because they had just figured out that there's this this thing in town. They don't fully know what it is, but they end up figuring out that the US military has been hiding it. So they break into this school, they you know, they 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 get all this information and they they're like, "Oh my god, the US military is behind this." Well, while they're doing this, the US government catches them and they put the kids in the back of a bus and they're locked in. They're in this like, you know, cage. They're like prisoners, how they transport uh, mm -hmm. prisoners. It's nighttime. We're driving around uh, along a road in the absolute middle of nowhere. And they're being transported. They don't know where they're going. And even the kids are arguing. They're like, where are we going? What are they going to do with us? And so I should have also mentioned that the kids had a fight 
before this. So there was kind of some arguing between them and, you know, how to handle certain things. One of the boys was arguing with another boy about a girl. And so there was a little bit of tension, but it kind of got, to, you know, broken up when the, the government came in and, mm-hmm. and took them. So they're on the road. We don't know where they're going. And they don't know what the government's going to do. They're like, oh, my God. You know, they're freaking out. They think that, oh, they're, they're going to kill us. They're, where are they taking us? What are they going to do to us? And while this is happening, there's this bam. Like out of fucking nowhere, the alien runs into the, uh, the bus. Mm-hmm. And it nearly tips over the bus. And the bus goes sideways. And it rolls on two wheels for a little bit. And then it clunks back to uh, its normal position. But the, the tires are blown out. So now the bus stops. And they're in the absolute middle of nowhere, as mentioned seven times, but the bus breaks down and they're like, oh shit, what are we going to do? So scene has been set. They can't drive, you know, they can't get anywhere. And so while they're in the back of this bus, the government, they start pulling out these tranquilizer guns. And why this is important is because it was a note that they're trying to capture the alien. Mm -hmm. The, The government is trying to capture the alien. And... They're not trying to kill this thing. They're just trying to capture it. And the kids are like, why are they, you know, pulling out trank guns? And the head guy, the head government official, pulls out this, like, bazooka-style trank gun. And he says to this other guy, to this, uh, some of the personnel, they're like, he's like, go out there and trank them. And everyone's like, what the fuck? I don't want to leave this bus. But he's like, mm-hmm. do it. So now he has marching orders. This, this one poor guy, he's walking to the front of the bus He's going to trank this fucking alien and the lights are flickering. The ambiance is just, it, 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 it's scary. It's a very scary thing. And as he's about to walk off of the bus, the alien attacks and he, he freaking grabs this guy and almost tips the entire bus over again. And it's just mental because the alien's in, he's roughing things up again. The kids start screaming. They're going crazy they're locked in the back of this bus. They're freaking out. And while the alien's attacking, finally the kids are like, we need to escape. And our main character, Joe, we start seeing how resourceful he is because he goes to the back door, which is bolted shut. And so there's a complication right there. They're like, this is our only way out. How can we get out of here? Alien keeps attacking. He's killing all these people. So there's this threat that's just growing and growing and growing. And he's killing all these people. And then Joe as these kids are kind of like, we're going to be fucked. We're, we're going to die in here. He looks up and realizes that there's some broken glass. And he tells his friend, let me get on your shoulders. So now the friends start having to work together. They're starting to mm-hmm. have to like figure this out at the same time. He puts Joe up on the shoulders. He starts hitting the glass harder and harder until finally it breaks. So the kids crawl out on one side. And while they're doing this, the alien's attacking on the other side. And this is also important because the government official, there was like this villain moment where he could have let the kids out at first, but he doesn't. But then he's like, he has remorse and he tries to like let them out, but he just can't. The kids are like locked in there and they're stuck in there. And mm. it was a good moment that I forgot to mention in all of mm-hmm. this, but it was a good villain moment. So Joe and his friends, they start to escape on one side of the bus. The aliens tearing apart the other side. They're pulling each other out. They're working with each other. And they get away just in time when the alien kills one last person. They run. They hide. And now they see this alien. They know it's out there. They know this threat's out there. But up until this point, they didn't really know what was going on. They thought, like, maybe it was a monster. And they, they were just confused. Mm-hmm. And they go and hide. The alien looks for him and then just runs off into the, 
into the bushes. Mm. That's the end of that sequence. It's not, not as, it's, it's about a seven minute, six minute sequence. Oh, wow. It's not as, uh, I didn't break it down like the Mission Impossible one for a specific reason. It's because it's different from that. It, mm-hmm. And I feel like watching it, again, there was complications. How do we get out? How do we get out? We're locked in the back. This door's locked. This window's bolted shut. Like, what yeah. can we do here? And there's just so many different things going on. What I liked about it was that the kids had to work together. And it was one of yeah. those things where it's like, we need to do this. We need to figure out a way to, to get out of here. And they barely escape, of course. And now they know that an alien is here. Just to say, that's they... the most interesting part is especially yeah. when you set it up that they're fighting moments before this happened. The solve is mm-hmm. to work together. That's the whole point of the scene. Yeah. And it kind of pushes things forward, mm-hmm. you know, because now they're they're in it together. And they know that the government's been trying to capture this threat. Yeah, that's great. That does like triple, quadruple duty. Yeah. That's New all. information. You get New the scares <laughs> of the like the horror yeah. moment, working together. Uh, the villain yeah. moment is great, but it's also worked in as a kind of complication. Like, oh, he's going to free him. He's got the keys. Oh, no, he's dead. He doesn't. He, we're still stuck in here. Yeah. I love those moments, by the way, and these are typically in horror movies, but when you think you're about to be saved by the cop, by the parent, whatever it is, and then the cop or parent gets killed just before yeah. saving you, that's like such a, ah, oh, finally, oh, fuck. That's one of the greatest totally. rever- use of reversals, I think. And what I love about it is like, I also like the setup. It was so simple. They're just on this open road. They're mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere. They're broken down. And it's just like, it, it is actually treated somewhat like as like a horror scene. Yeah. Like, boom, we're here. We're stuck here. And that was part of the reason why I thought about this was because it's it's an action piece. It's a set piece, but it's different. Yeah. It's not a traditional one in a way. It's interesting. I always get scared to write action set pieces in so simple a surrounding where I am literally and figuratively writing myself into a box. In this case bus that's meant to be a cage <laughs> and mm-hmm. keep people in but my characters need to get out because i personally am not a super resourceful person <laughs> with not yeah. with not a lot of street smarts and so like it's going to take me a lot to figure out how my characters get out of that and so i i tend to avoid them but you're right that simplicity can almost be or is as satisfying as something even bigger yeah and you just touched on something and then we can jump into yours remember we were like oh so we're gonna crush this episode now we're like we're so excited we're just talking about it right now <laughs> something you uh you said is like it's really hard to write some of these scenes because it forces you to be smarter than you actually are yeah like wow how would you know i get out of this tower in dubai and you're like i don't, I don't fucking know and it requires you to like learn a whole new yeah thing i don't know all right, what's yeah, your second it one? It does, it does. I feel like you learn so much. Like I had to research a train caboose recently for um, yeah. a set piece. <laughs> like I remember I like texted you because I know you're working on a train thing. But then I had to start like learning about the engine mechanics of a train and how trains work. And I would never have known that if I didn't need to do this for the set piece. And that's some of the fun stuff about being a writer, but also the hardest part. That's the fucking craziest. Yeah, like right now I could tell you parts of a train, which is weird. It is. That's really, I asked you, you were just listed off all these terms. <laughs> I knew you were the man to see. <laughs> what part of the train do you want to know about? What year was it built? Where is it coming from? What's its route? Yeah. That's great. 
Um, all right. So my second set piece, I feel like I should have been more creative now after that because that was such a good idea. Um, I actually really wanted to do a John Wick scene, but oh, I ended up picking something else. <laughs> so oh. we'll do a John Wick scene another another day. <laughs> I picked this scene from The Dark Knight, which I always remember as being another great example of reversals, um, which is, I think it's called just the, the Dark Knight car chase scene. So the oh setup God, yeah. to this scene is Harvey Dent has just announced that he's Batman and he's being taken into protective custody. Custody, um, And so he's being escorted to, I think, jail. And so... And let me just say, if people don't know that Harvey Dent is not Batman and that was just a lie, again, stop listening to the podcast. Yeah. Carry what, on, What Tasha. are we even doing? Yeah. So... <laughs> He gets, uh, Harvey Dent gets into this armored SWAT van and he has a police escort of three cars plus an extra SWAT van with a bunch of team guys in, uh, you know, heavy duty gear in it. So this seems pretty darn secure. But then we clock at the beginning of the scene before anything really happens, we clock this semi truck driver who honks at a tra traffic cop who's holding up traffic for this convoy to move through and the cop tells mm -hmm. him like sir you know you're gonna have to wait and then the joker appears in the passenger side and kills the cop so now we know the joker is here and shit is about to go down so i call that reversal number one then the convoys heading down the street and suddenly they find it's blocked by a fire truck that's on fire and so they have to divert and go to an underground highway now they're in an underground highway, and even someone says, like, we're going to be fishing a barrel under there. And sure enough, they are. They get down into mm -hmm. the underground highway, and this trash truck rams into the two police cars that are in the back of the convoy, gets rid of them pretty easily, and then he starts ramming Harvey Dent's van. So that's reversal number two. Shit has, has started to hit the fan. Now the SWAT van of guys, the, that big team that's all heavy duty, they get notified like hey we need help back here so they start to gear up and that's reversal number three because okay the good guys got this of course they have they've planned for this but then that semi truck that we've clocked earlier suddenly appears out of nowhere and t-bones this swat van full of guys and sends them into the river they're gone they are out of the race that's reversal number four so now all we got left of this convoy is Harvey Dent's van and one police car up front. And mm. that semi truck is there and it pulls up alongside and the Joker opens the side door and he starts firing at Harvey's van. But it's all good because the thing is bulletproof. It's made to take a beating and Harvey even comments on it. So that's reversal number five because no matter what the Joker does, Harvey is safe. Good guys are cool. And off the SWAT guy who's in the van with Harvey Dent saying, it's going to take a lot more than that, Joker is handed a bazooka. Oh, shit. <laughs> Which is reversal number six. He then uses the bazooka to blow up the last police car. So now it is only Harvey Dent, a sitting duck. He is fucked. But that is when Batman arrives. Mm. And he rams into the trash truck in the back, which eliminates that guy from the car chase, which is reversal number seven. Good guy wins a little bit. And now he's going after the semi. And now it finally feels like a fair fight because maybe Harvey's going to be okay because Batman is here. But then Joker gets a beat on Harvey's van with that bazooka and he fires the missile right at it. 
Reversal number eight. Joker's gonna win. Scratch that. But just as the missile is about to hit Harvey's van, Batman's Batmobile launches up and takes the hit from the bazooka instead. So, uh-huh. reversal number nine. Harvey is saved by Batman. Good guys are winning. But then, in taking the missile, the Batmobile blows up and crashes. So now, Batman is out of the fight. Harvey Dent is fucked again. Reversal number 10. (laughs) But now, the SWAT van is turning out of the underground highway, and it's going up top, back to the surface where they can finally get some air support. So, maybe the Joker is actually not gonna win. We have air support. And while that's happening... Batman expels his bat bike from his Batmobile. Oh, God. (laughs) Just as it explodes, and he drives off on what I think is maybe the coolest vehicle he's ever been on in the whole series. And that, to me, is reversal number 11, where Batman is okay. After the crash, he is still in this fight. And now we are above ground. The SWAT van has air support. Surely, it's now the Joker who's fucked. And that's reversal number 12. Good guys are winning. But then the Joker radios his men, who are planted up on fire escapes pretty high, and they fling wires across the road where the helicopter is flying down. And the helicopter hits these wires and crashes. Reversal number 13. Meanwhile, Batman is pretty far behind. So you're wondering, is he going to make it on time as he's like driving through a mall and through the metro or something? Because now Joker is in that semi and he is gaining on Harvey Dent's van. And that's when Batman explodes out of a side alley and he charges Joker's semi and then ties it up, managing to kind of flip it upside down and crash the whole thing, which is a great win for Batman. So that's reversal number 14. Joker, however, manages to somehow survive the crash. He walks out, kind of stumbles out, and Batman drives right at him in a game of chicken. But he can't bring himself to run the Joker over. So instead, he crashes his bike. So... Batman is down, reversal number 15. Back at the Harvey Dent van, for some reason, the driver stops the van, he grabs a gun, and he jumps out, which makes no sense. Like, you're wondering, is he a mole? Is, is, why isn't he driving to the jail? Like, Batman's fucked. And just as Joker is about to slit Batman's throat with a knife, a gun is put to the back of his head, and it's the driver of the Harvey Dent van, who is revealed to be Commissioner Gordon. So our final oh, reversal shit. is number 16. Good guys have won. That's the set piece. 16 reversals. 16 Amazing. reversals! And it's about the same length as the Indiana Jones one. It's about eight eight minutes or so. So the, the reversals are really interesting because uh, you did a really great job of really like highlighting the reversals. <laughs> but it's like... There's bigger ones and smaller ones, mm-hmm. but they're, they are reversals. And it's so important to be like, oh, they're losing. Oh, they're winning. Oh, they're losing. Like you can pick a side of ter- in terms of yeah. like who's winning the action set piece and who's losing it. Yeah. And that's an example where there's not a lot of character. A character is not really driving that action mm-hmm. set piece at all. I mean, I guess Joker's crazy, but I could kind of see anyone doing what he was doing in that. It's it's purely just reversals based on action, which works. Honestly, it still works. Wait, is that where he Wait, did you say that that's where he slides off the bike? Yeah. No, I think that is character. That's like 1000% that character. Yeah, that moment's very character. You're right. It ends in a very character way. Yeah, it's all that's like the essence of Batman and the Joker yeah. is like <laughs> 
Batman can't kill yeah. the Joker. Batman doesn't kill. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. I guess that's kind of the climax of it, right? Is Batman's own code is what gets him into that final uh, sort of reversal, I guess. Yeah. And that's why they're perfect adversaries. So true. <sighs> anyway. It's a good movie. So, in conclusion, yeah. reversals, complications, setups and payoffs. Like setups and payoffs. Those are like the pillars. Mm-hmm. And looking at them in like a three act structure. Yeah. Also, I would say both all the movies that we mentioned, minus Super 8, unless I'm wrong, have moments of comedy built into these really tense action scenes. No, Super 8 does. It does? Yeah. The kid one time, like a couple of the kids are like the way they're insulting each other to hurry up. That's really interesting to me. Because these movies don't strike you as particularly, like certainly Dark Knight is not a funny movie, but there are moments of comedy that I did not fully mention that are built into it. For example, there are two kids who are pretending to like shoot, they're like stuck in traffic and they're pretending to shoot and then suddenly cars in the distance start blowing up and they're like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, look what we're doing. And it turns out it's Batman who drives by. Um, And of course, Joker is always just kind of funny in the way he delivers any line in that movie yeah um so yeah it's interesting no that's a great point and i i I almost feel like you need those comedic moments to break the insanity that's happening Hmm. and just off the top of my head i can't remember the sequence but i was just thinking of john wick the one with common where they're shooting each other yeah and they're so proper and there's kind of like some comedy to that that they're they're gentlemen trying to kill each other and then i think at one point they get on a subway Mm -hmm. and they put their guns away Mm -hmm. and like that's funny because they're like oh my god these people are following this code and it's (laughs) that's what's so great about john wick but and obviously not everyone has the budgets of super eight indiana jones mission impossible or uh, dark knight that's true but that doesn't mean you shouldn't implement what they do you can do it at any budget it doesn't matter yeah yeah you just have to be more creative about how you're going about doing it totally this is really fun and i think honestly really helpful as we were going i've written down like four or five different notes to just take with me back to writing when when i'm really this yeah yeah i do think about that that's good I, i was thinking about that like it is good to have this conversation when you're doing this exact mm-hmm. thing yeah it's interesting like one of the notes I wrote down was creating a ticking clock because I think you can be creative about the ticking clock. I've definitely seen mm-hmm. forced ticking clocks that don't work. But what you're right. talking about is in your Mission Impossible version, there's a meeting that's about to happen, which is why they're here to begin with. And that meeting is going to happen at such and such time. Oh, shit, that time has got cut in half. In the Indiana Jones version, there's a cliff. And that is a natural, now new ticking clock. So you can be creative about how you create ticking clocks too, which I think is a good lesson as well. Yeah. And in Super 8, for instance, the alien is getting closer to them. Yeah. And every time it kills another one of the government officials, it's closer and closer and closer. So they need to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. But yeah, you always can have, whether it be, you know, someone walking in on you, water rising in a cave, Mm -hmm. a friggin whatever you yeah. can think you know just create that that element of like oh they could die a different way as well yeah yeah and that's a good way of thinking about it too i love it this is so good this is great no i don't want to go right i'm excited all right should we wrap it up <laughs> right. so we can get out of here <laughs> let's get the fuck out of here all right quote of the day 
People have forgotten how to tell a story. Stories don't have a middle or an end anymore. They usually have a beginning that never stops beginning. Steven Spielberg. <sighs> it must be true. <laughs> Please remember to rate and subscribe. Follow us at Act Two Writers for more awesome writing stuff. You can follow me, Tasha, at Story Thursday on Instagram or on Twitter at Tasha 3.0. Or me on Instagram as Josh Hallman or Twitter, Joshua Hallman. And as always, the Act 2 podcast is a production of Act 2, a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. This episode was edited by Paul Lundquist and music by 414 Bag, which you can find on Spotify. Spotify.